Welcome to Peak Health Unlocked, a docu-series show interviewing experts to unpack the latest science, technology, and wellness practices, all with the purpose of helping you unlock your peak health. This show would not be possible without the support of Thrive Performance and Regenerative Medicine, a team prepared to go all in to craft your personalized peak health plan. Visit the link in the show notes to start your health transformation. Enjoy the show. Alex is the Director of Wellness and Development for the Toronto Raptors. He joined the Raptors after serving as the Director of Clinical and Sports Psychology for the University of Arizona. He has worked with NCAA Division I schools in the Pac-12, ACC, Big 12, and Conference USA. Alex earned his doctoral degree in counseling psychology with a specialization in sport and performance psychology from the University of North Texas. All right, Alex, same question everyone gets for this series, and it's just to understand how you personally define immunity. That's a, a hard question. I love that we're opening with this one, and, and thanks to the three of you for having me. Um, for me, I, I think about immunity really as the ability to respond effectively um, to stress or to some sort of unknown presence. I think. Um, especially in a time of COVID and a vaccine, maybe there's some different connotations around immunity. But to me, it's not necessarily from a psychological perspective about never catching something, if you will. It's more mm -hmm. about being able to respond effectively to what you do catch, um, which is just an inevitability of life for all of us. I actually really like that definition because, you know, as we, this is an immunity podcast series. So as we are investigating immunity, you can see that there's a lot going to be a lot of differing views. And I think that encompasses a lot of, a lot of the full definition of it is it's not just thinking about you getting a virus. There's a lot of things that affect your immunity. So that was spot on. I really, I really appreciated that. Yeah, that's cool. I, uh, I will be really fascinated to listen to the rest of this series as well, because, um, I think just the interdisciplinary nature of the conversations probably adds a lot of depth um, for me in the way that I can think about this and the work that I do. Well, what's interesting is we've interviewed people from geneticists to meditation experts to people that work with people with Alzheimer's and, and um, they all have the same kind of discussion at some point within the podcast. And it's about, mental health, men, mental fitness, and how it affects immunity and how large of a role it plays. So if, if you work on your mental health, uh, it, it really makes a huge impact on your immunity. So I'd like to get your take on how you see that mental health or mental fitness plays a role in immunity. Yeah. I, I mean, to me, this idea of mental fitness and, and mental health or wellness is almost the foundation of immunity. I, I mean, I'm not, um, a, a biological medical doctor. So I'm not as well versed in, you know, the science around, um, you know, the different ways that your thinking or feeling can impact your literal physical response to different um, disease or disorder. But I know there's interesting research out there around like response to cancer and things like that. But I, I think fundamentally that starts with a framework for how you approach life and the way that you um, interact with the different things that come up that you're you're challenged to respond to. And so I think mental fitness is really that foundational piece or lens through which you view these different things. 
that you now have to respond to. And so without, you know, taking care of your mental health, um, working on your mental fitness, the same way we think about physical health and physical fitness, um, I think it becomes increasingly challenging to respond to those different things. I mean, in my mind, it's almost like a, if I took the physical health paradigm and thought about kind of the prehab rehab dimension of keeping, you know, say professional athletes healthy or any individual that's training healthy, right? Like most people don't just walk outside and run a marathon. There's usually a bit of stretching and training that goes into it before that. Um, you know, I think prehab and and mental health and, and mental fitness is kind of the same idea. Like, you know, you can't just, um, show up and expect to be able to conquer whatever comes your way. I mean, it takes deliberate work and effort, um, and, and some acts of self-care, but also some really conscious cultivating of a mindset um, around how you want to approach challenges and things like that. How do you, I mean, you mentioned the pandemic. We're, we're obviously right in the middle of it as we speak. You, because uh, we, we've chatted before, and when we first chatted, you were just moving to Toronto, you know, starting this role with the Raptors. Now you're, you know, back in the U.S., you're in Tampa, where, where the team's playing right now. I mean, that in itself is, is enough stress to really, you know, throw someone off their game. Like what, I guess, what's been your approach or, or what are the strategies that, that we can learn from on our side to, you know, deploy mental fitness and mental health, um, tactics and whatnot to, to really try to be, I, I don't know if, if the word is stoic in, in the way or in a situation like that, or to just be able to really process this, but yeah, like what's, what's working and I guess what, you know, what, what's left to be worked on? Um, a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Um, so I think, you know, if I, again, if I unpack kind of the mental fitness paradigm and the way I've been thinking about it a lot recently, it's sort of around a couple different dimensions. So there's this psychological flexibility element, there's this psychological endurance element, and then a psychological strength element. And I think, all three have really been critical for me in terms of how I've approached the transition and being able to challenge myself and work actively on switching between the three. Um, you know, so the psychological flexibility component is, is really around kind of staying present and staying accepting of what's happening in my life and, and trying to still move toward my values and, and do something that's meaningful for me. And, and that's really where I've centered in this transition. Um, as much as there have been, you know, definitely a number of challenges that come up. I mean, I, I was in Canada for 60 days before I moved back to the States. Um, you know, and, and two 2000 mile moves in the span of two months will do it to you. But I think there's, you know, that ability to just try to work on staying present, staying open and committed to my values has been really instrumental in, in maintaining a healthy perspective, I think, on this, which is, Um, you know, thankfully, like I'm healthy, my family is healthy, um, you know, and, and we have, um, been really fortunate to have, you know, some degree of stability throughout this, um, in terms of work. And so I try to keep that in perspective as well. Um, but I think that the places for me to grow are, um, you know, tapping more into what's to be learned from this opportunity and experience. I think there's a lot of time I find myself, um, maybe dwelling or, or ruminating a bit on kind of the challenge dimension of this experience. It's like, Oh, this is just so hard. I can't believe we did this. You know, at some point I'm going to come up for water and just be like, Oh my goodness, what a whirlwind that, you know, eight months of one have ended up being. 
um, has been. Um, but I, I hope that before I get to that end of that eight months that I can really um, push myself to try to extract some of the lessons that are here to be learned right now, because I think those things will also help me sort of manage what's going on. So I think the best example I can give is I had this experience maybe a couple of weeks ago where I was walking to my car after practice and it just dawned on me that for the last, you know, two months, I've basically lived out of two suitcases and one car, you know, nothing else that I have here is anything that I own. Um, and it was a real lesson in kind of the impermanence of things and like, yeah, maybe I just don't really need that stuff or what, what does it mean to be able to be, overall well, um, and yet not have some of these kind of material things that I, I personally had thought of as important, you know, um, or place some level of value on. And so I'm trying to extract bits and pieces like that as best I can. Um, because I do think in the long run, that's going to help me respond more effectively to, to adversity in the future. Just practically speaking, uh, just a follow up to that, um, when just thinking about psychological flexibility, what have been some practices or tools or things you've in, injected or incorporated into your routine that you find have, have helped going through this? So uh, the most obvious one is therapy. Um, you know, just having somebody to, to talk to and share with and, um, someone who has kind of an outside perspective has been helpful. Um, you know, engaging in different conversations with my partner or my close friends has also been helpful. And then I think on a personal level, um, you know, I've really been challenging myself to do a lot of writing and journaling. Um, you know, again, trying to really kind of think deeply about what this experience means beyond the kind of in your face, sort of like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is what we're doing, but here we are. Yeah. Um, so, you know, challenging myself to, to journal on that stuff. Um, I've had a, a regular meditation practice for several years that um, I, I've tried really consciously to deepen at this time. Um, and really the easiest way I've done that is just add time. You know, I think there was a, a time in my life before moving here to Tampa that, um, meditation was kind of like a thing I did as part of my routine, but I won't, I wouldn't say that it was always, you know, a conscious intention to sit down and get present and make the most of it at, at times. It was almost like a habitual kind of just going through the motions. And so, I've tried hard to extend the length of time I'm spending meditating and to really, you know, block time where that's what's happening. Um, so th those have probably been, been the big things. And then, um, you know, one of the, the blessings and, and curses, if you will, of, of an NBA lifestyle is, uh, there's a lot of freedom within a very defined structure. And so I've tried okay. really hard to use my, my free time, um, you know, to read, um, and try to kind of expand, the way that I'm thinking about things and, and trying to find sort of like awe inspiring experiences amongst this and, and enjoy what's in front of me um, instead of being focused on how quickly I can get back to Toronto or, or anything else. Yeah, Alex, I've had the same uh, reflections during this time is really looking at materialism and looking at material things like what's what's really important, what's not. Maybe you don't need all these things and really focusing on like what you said, being present for my wife or my daughter, uh, for my friends and family, and then really just taking in, you know, what we're going through and using it as a time to grow, to better myself physically, mentally, spiritually. So yeah, it's, I think, um, you can take uh, something as catastrophic as the pandemic and really turn it into a time of growth. Uh, if you do those practices that you're talking about, 
So you're you're talking about um, you know your role in the Raptors, but what is it that you that you do in that role of director of health and wellness and working with the athletes and the team? Yeah, so um, uh, my, in my role as as the director of, of wellness and development, a lot of my work is really around, I guess I would say like three different levels of of psychological health and functioning. So one is the individual level with you know players and staff. Um, and being a source of support, um, but also being a source of, you know, I think a resource around like performance optimization and finding ways that we can be our best selves. Then there's sort of the, the team level and then there's the organization level. Um, and I sort of move between all three levels and layers kind of thinking often and always about, you know, what is it that we can do to make this um, a great environment for our players and our staff to show up and, and be the best that they can be? How do I support each individual of this organization toward reaching their individual goals and aspirations and being the best that they can be? And then how do I continue to support, um, you know, our leadership and, and the entire, you know, whole organization from top to bottom? And, and again, achieving what we want to achieve, but but also being um, you know, continue to be a great place to work and, and a place where people can show up and sort of be their whole selves. Um, and, I, and I find that particularly important given the circumstances we're in, you know, navigating a pandemic, but we also have, um, you know, several obviously Canadian staff members who have relocated who don't necessarily have their family in the States for whatever reason, whether it's, you know, they've got limitations that prevent them from coming down here like their own own work situation or they were unable to get a work visa. I mean, there's just all sorts of challenges um, that are different for a good chunk of our staff than for someone like me who can just, you know, come back to the States um, whenever. Um, and so I, I try to really, you know, tune into all those different things and then and support and nudge and um, encourage uh, that kind of overall health and wellness um, for us. Yeah, before we move ahead, Alex, I wanted to um, just point out your story. I really resonated with that when you were talking about living out of your car. And I think this is one take-home message to point out to the listeners is simplification. And, you know, I deployed to Afghanistan. Everyone's always asking me, when I talk about Afghanistan, it, it was a, you know, I'm not sadistic, but it was a very positive experience in many ways. And people are like, you know, why? And I always tell them, like, there was one place to eat. There was one place to get a haircut. There was one place to go to the bathroom and one place to work out. Hmm. And we did one simple job. And so, you know, for me, it was it, having less choices uh, brought a little bit more happiness. And so I want people to actually just think about that for a little while and see, see if that resonates with you. Because I think that sometimes we live in a complicated world and sometimes more choices just make us more stressed out. Yeah, I think uh, I, I resonate a lot with that. I mean, it's like the the kind of paradox of choice research. And I think it was Malcolm Gladwell at one point said something about how like he doesn't even read restaurant reviews. He just picks a restaurant and goes where most of us, you know, yeah. sort of sit, sit there and debate like where we want to go eat with our partner or spouse for something. I'm, I'm, as much as anyone like my, my partner and I will debate for an hour where we want to go eat and then we'll just settle on the place we always go kind of thing. <laughs> but I think you balloon that out to all the different choices that people can make throughout the day. And, and of course, you know, having, um, I think sometimes less is more exactly, exactly like you're saying. And I think, um, you know, the pandemic in some ways has been a valuable instructor in that regard. Yeah. My, my, my follow-up question though is, um, you know, and this is this is why Mark is so integral at uh, Thrive is, you know, and, and it's more prevalent in men versus women. But 
if you tell someone, one of our clients, like, Hey, you need to exercise. Well, they're all in right there. They tell me the reps they did, the, the amount of miles they ran. But if you tell someone like, Hey, you need to work on your mental fitness or you need to meditate. Sometimes the way they approach it is like, okay, well, I just checked the box. Right. So we have to work through that process and teach them like mental fitness is another muscle that needs to be exercised. So my question to you is working with these world-class athletes is that something that is on the table? It's like the fifth vital sign. Do you guys have any t- tips and tactics that you try to, to use on these guys when they first start? Because obviously they're under a lot of pressure. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things that I feel like is kind of a common denominator across people, um, pro athlete or, or not, I think everyone really in their heart wants to be the best person that they can be. Um, and everyone has different obstacles or challenges to finding that space. But I think people are kind of inherently motivated toward growth and development. And so my, my way in is, you know, I think there, there are a couple tactics I use, I would say. So one is to sort of lead with um, what this kind of work means for performance. And if you take, you know, some of the greatest athletes that we now see documentaries about or hear from, from, um, Michael Phelps to Michael Jordan to Kobe Bryant, they're all talking about training their mental fitness. And none of them are shy about that as being a critical part of their performance. Um, and I think, you know, there was even some interesting research that was done recently that suggests working with a mental performance coach can extend the career of major league baseball players by over two years. And I think mm-hmm. what what this really says is like there the competitive advantages to doing this kind of work for you as an individual um, could be so great if you could get to that point that you started to think about this as an investment in your longevity and investment in your performance and investment in your career and not as a sign that this is some sort of deficit or something you're missing and so you know I think trying to think about it as an investment in performance and then a performance enhancer versus uh, you know, maybe thinking about it as, you know, there's something wrong or a sign that something is off has, has been one important tactic. Um, and then I think the second one is, and I've continued to do this in this conversation too, is, is drawing this parallel to physical fitness. If that really resonates for people, which, you know, for, for elite athletes, that's certainly the case, right? Like you train often and, and daily basically so that when the bright lights come on, your body is ready to go. And to just assume that your mind will show up and be ready to go without any training is sort of like ludicrous if you think about yeah. it in that in yeah. that terms of parallel. And so I, I try to draw that out a lot as well because I think once people get that this is not about something being wrong, that this is about being the best you that you can be consistently... Um, it's not about just winning one championship. It's about winning six championships and playing until you're 45. That's a very different conversation. And, and so those have been a couple strategies I use to sort of nudge the conversation along. And, and then, and you're right, there's a masculinity dimension to it as well. But I think that performance language and physical language can get people there. I, I love the, the, like the use of perspective. And it, it reminds me actually of the interview we just recorded, we, we interviewed uh, Matteo, who is the CEO of Eight Sleep. They've got some pretty cool thermoregulated beds. And, you know, basically the whole purpose is, is to try to increase your deep sleep and make sure people are, are well rested. But one of the things that I, I feel like resonates really well with how you just position this and, and getting people to change your perspective on mental fitness is, you know, he was telling us 
stop looking at sleep as like this thing that you know you just need to do and look at it as this is this is your sleep fitness this is the time where your body's healing this gives you the energy that you're going to need for the day and and all of that so it, it's interesting i think that, that the more these series go on uh, the at least on my side personally the more you know you have to bring it back to like meeting the person where they're at and bring in some sort of uh, example or uh, tactic to shift the perspective. So it's, it's, it's a motivating thing versus a, like, I have to check the box. Yeah. I love, I love that perspective from, from Mateo. And, and one of the transformative moments for me, even about sleep was someone saying to me, sleep is not like something you can do when you're dead. Sleep is an investment in your ability to show up and be great yeah. tomorrow. And so stop cutting yourself off because your decision-making is worse. Your focus is worse. You know, all these things that you're, you're doing by, essentially sleep depriving yourself or, or not helping. Um, and, and, you know, that brings up, I think, one other tactic I, I've used, and this seems to work better kind of in the knowledge workspace versus the, the physical, you know, realm of, of elite athletics. But if I think about the people who surround the athletes, you know, people who have to make decisions, um, I think drawing a, a parallel to an investment portfolio actually works quite well. Um, mm. where, you know, most people don't just throw a hundred percent of everything they own into stocks because uh, as much as there might be some great upside, there's also a tremendous amount of risk. Um, and so in terms of mental fitness, thinking about it kind of the same way, like you want to diversify a little bit, you might want to be, you might be a person that's uh, more comfortable with some risk. And so you might say, put 80% of your funding into stocks, but you're going to still spend, you know, 20% of your investing in, in bonds, which would be things like, you know, self-care, um, meditation, sleep to offset some of that risk. And that's what any good, good advisor would sort of tell you. And so I think that yeah. that parallel can also work well for people. And even in the physical versus mental performance category, you can do the same thing, which is like, if you just put a hundred percent of your focus on physical training, besides tearing a peck or, or whatever, you know, you're probably going to get burnt out. And, and so finding ways to balance that can be critical because it's not about tomorrow. It's about the next 10 years. It's about a healthy lifestyle. Um, you know, getting a, being able to like run around and play with your kids versus benching 315 tomorrow. I think those are, are different values to tap into that people can resonate with. As far as sleep goes with your, uh, the players and the team, are you guys using sleep trackers? Are you guys monitoring heart rate variability for recovery and ensuring that the uh, athletes are good to go to train the next day or anything like that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, because of the way I, I think most pro sports are set up, um, there tends to be some difficulty in the active monitoring of these kinds of things, um, whether it's a compliance perspective or, uh, you know, there's some regulation between an agreement between the players and the league, you know, there's all these, all these different factors. So I, I can't say we do anything, you know, universally across the board with every player to monitor those things. What I can say is that we've, um, you know, invest a considerable amount of time and, and effort and energy into thinking a lot about the travel and planning travel accordingly. Obviously, that's a huge factor for sleep for us. But, um, you know, making sure that all the, the athletes have you know, a baseline education around what sleep is, why it's important, how it can help you. And then of course, um, you know, for most of these players, really, they're, they're so elite. Um, they're so good at what they do, um, that they kind of take it upon themselves to track those different things and to share the feedback because they recognize that this is just a critical part of, of their ability to perform. And a follow-up question. And 
uh, in regards to you guys traveling all the time, and especially, you know, outside of the pandemic, when you're in a regular season, you guys are traveling across multiple time zones all the time. Do you have any uh, tricks or biohacks for jet lag and how you overcome that to optimize your sleep and performance? Yeah, I think um, I wish I had better tricks here, but I think a couple <laughs> things that that I've talked with our group about is you know adjusting, starting to adjust our our sleep schedules and our schedules, um, you know, especially for like say a long West Coast road trip, you know, trying to kind of move our schedule while we're still in Toronto or Tampa to be more like a West Coast time progressively so that we're not going a three hour jump. Maybe we're only going a one hour jump by the way that we're operating, I think is is one way that we've tried to navigate some of that. And um, I know recently there was an article published about um, home court advantage really being about sleep and travel. Um, And I think a lot of it is that kind of jumping back and forth. And so what they found basically was like, there's almost no advantage for East Coast teams when West Coast teams come East, but there's a huge advantage for West Coast teams when East Coast teams go East. Um, And then obviously the different layers of travel and when teams get in and all that stuff. So a long story less long, I think, you know, shifting the the time that you're operating basically by an hour kind of in advance each day. So if you're going three hours, maybe you start four days in advance and you kind of work your way back. uh, So it's not a, a huge slap to go three hours. Um, and then I think, you know, little things around napping and things like that. I, I mean, I think, um, there's a great book, um, you know, so, so Matt Walker's why we sleep is good. And then I'm blanking on the name of the other book. Um, but I could find it was written by a guy named Chris winter. Um, that was a really simple, easy to digest sleep book. And a lot of his stuff I, I borrow from as well, which is like, you know, how do we strategically time naps and, and things like that so that we can help people travel more effectively? Um, you know, we have most of our players are kind of between 19 and 26. And so there's a, a propensity for the five hour nap. Um, and, and if we can find, <laughs> find ways to cut that five hour nap to, you know, a 20 minute nap here and a 10 minute nap there. And, you know, that kind of stuff can go a long way for, for the performance as well. <laughs> the five hour nap. I love it. Uh, <laughs> I'm curious, Alex, just, you know, when you, when you're working with people one-on-one, there, there's just, there are so many factors and there's so many p- people I feel involved with the players. Right. And, and, and with, you know, I, I think with, with all the same goal of, of making sure that they're, they're the healthiest and performing at the best. But I guess like, how do you, how do you keep all of this stuff, you know, like somewhat single focus on that goal on, on your side? So one of the big things that, that we're, we're working on at Thrive is just, you know, if we're working on sleep, mental fitness, you know, genomics or nutrition, like all of this stuff has to somehow come together as a, as a team approach. So I'm curious if there, like, there's anything we can learn um, from you to, to better that process. Uh, I would, I would love to learn more about the work y'all are doing. Cause I think that's, I think that's really pretty interesting. Um, and I think I, I would guess that we're probably fairly similar. So for me, I think one place that, um, people can sometimes go wrong and I, I try to steer myself out of this as much as I can is, um, I think like overly emphasizing the importance of your lane. Um, I, I think is, is a challenge. Um, you know, particularly, you know, I'm in a space where these players have so many people around them, um, friends, relatives, different coaches, different trainers. 
Um, and it would be easy in some ways to see myself as, you know, maybe competing with them for a player's time, or, you know, if we have competing ideas, like yeah. who do we, you know, whose ideas do we value more? I, I try to find my way out of that um, and really focus on one, what is it can I learn from these other team members? What, what are these other team members seeing in this player that I may not be seeing? And how can that inform the work that I do when I spend time with them? And then two, how, how do we really, instead of thinking about, for me, instead of thinking about my time with this player as one particular intervention, I, I kind of try to think of this as like creating a story or a narrative. And so how do we create a shared narrative amongst everyone, including the player, that the player can be bought into as a vision for himself and his future? And now we're all working toward that same goal and that same narrative. Um, and so... Good. That way, when we have kind of that, yeah, I, I think when we have that like North Star guiding vision that goes bigger than one goal, like, you know, improve my shooting efficiency or respond more effectively after a miss, like those are, are good goals. But I think it's also about the narrative of um, I want to be an all star or I want to, you know, I, I believe that I'm a person that can be a contributing player off the bench for 20 minutes a game. So, okay, like what does that player look like and how do we? shape that narrative as a player, but also as a person, like what characteristics does this person have and how do we all buy into that and agree on what that narrative is and then collectively move toward that. Yeah. That almost really sounds like the process at Thrive, wouldn't you say, Mark? <laughs> That's what we're aiming for. That's for sure. <laughs> well, so then it's, and then it's athlete or client or, you know, whatever term you use focused on what their goals are, but they've got a whole team behind them, you know, driving the, driving their goals. Right. How do you, how do you guys do it? I mean, I like, there's something for me to learn here. So how do you, how do you kind of craft that narrative or how do you approach working with your team? Cause in a lot of ways, I mean, your team has, you know, an incredibly diverse skill set. Well, the first thing is sitting down with the person in front of you and just having a in-depth conversation. So getting to know as much about them as possible when they, who they eat with their, do they have a mental fitness practice? Do they have a spiritual practice? The whole gamut of things, their nutrition, their exercise, their stress at work. And then, um, at that point, then you start getting to see what their, yes, what their goals are. What are they seeking to achieve by working with us? And then we have what we call a tribe meeting where it's all the different practitioners with this particular client. And then we go over all these things and then we start going into biomarkers, the genetics, uh, longevity, all these different things. And we look at all these things as a collective. And then each of us, we, we stay in our lane. So each of us that have a specific specialty, like Mark will uh, discuss mental fitness practices or uh, optimization for you know, executives, or we have uh, our, um, uh, in-house psychologist Donna that will work with, you know, people that have specific issues that they need to work out. And then we have a nutritionist health coaches. So each one of us plays a role, but at the end of the day, uh, we're working together, but we do, we have the same philosophy, but we stay kind of in our lanes and we work for the best interest of the client and the patient in front of us. And the, the client plays an integral role in their own health. So we're, we're, what we're trying to do is empower that client to not need us to only reach out to us once, you know, if they need some optimization or they have some, they fall in a rut or something happens, but we really want to opt optimize them and empower them to the point where they're taking care of their own health and they have ownership of their own health. Yeah. 
And I think just with the narrative at the very beginning, around that same time as Philip was mentioning about this, you know, intro call, essentially, you know, they get a document that outlines these core pillars that we operate uh, under and there's, there's seven of them and essentially, you know, sleep is in there, mental fitness and, uh, ancestral living principles, like all of these different things so that they, they can see, okay, well, these are all the, the areas or pillars that I might touch on. And then we make sure to, to, to emphasize the fact that all of these things are interconnected. And to your point, Alex, I think that it, you know, it's not, it's not just me talking to them. It's when, when I'm on the phone with, with the client, it, I've already talked to Philip and Rhett, like I already know what, what's been discussed there. So it's not, not spending 15 minutes reviewing past things it's like okay you're working on your your sleep right now well here are some journaling exercises that can help you know de-stress your mind and 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 clear the plate to help you fall asleep a little bit faster so everything is designed to to fuel the 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 whole narrative or the ultimate goal yeah what alex the similarity for you also is it's just what you said is you know conventional medicine has an agenda. The physician has an agenda, right? So they, the patient may come in and before they can even speak, the physician's like, physician thinks, well, I'm going to talk to this guy about his blood pressure. But you would probably say, and you'd find with your at their elite athletes that the results are better when a- attention is focused, right? And that's, you could say that for most things in life, like where you put your attention is where you get your results. So it's still very client focused. We, we know what's going on with them, but they also have their goals. So if it's based on their goals, just like you said, with the athlete that wanted to be, you know, top 10% in the league, then obviously they're going to listen a little bit better and uh, they're going to get better results. I I just want to say, I love how y'all are describing this and it's clear you've thought a lot about it and worked a lot together. Um, But I I particularly, what resonates for me and and I might borrow from you is this language of having a tribe. Um, And I know we're, you know, talking about immunity broadly. And I think that's that social dimension of immunity um, and the the people around us are so important to how we perform and how we feel Um, that that one really, I I love that one. and, And I expect to start using the language of tribe more regularly. So thank you. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I actually have a um, just another s- side question for you. So, you know, I know that ath- these a- elite athletes are world class. They have extraordinary abilities. They're under extraordinary stress. You know, they're putting themselves out there. I think that you said yourself, the human condition part of that is to strive for growth. The majority of people out there want to get better. So I really want to know on the elite athlete level, have you seen any patterns or, I mean, they're, they're also just regular humans, right? So do you deal with the same patterns that maybe we even deal with at Thrive? Like what, what are these guys really, what are their main concerns when you, when they come to you? Yeah, I think, um, it's, it's a multi-layered challenge and I can think about even this, this same kind of experience when I was overseeing the mental health and sports psych services at Arizona. I, I mean, I think, in a lot of ways, athletics presents an opportunity or a way to think more about some of the fundamental elements of the human condition, and then also think about, you know, a really specific niche. So common things that come up are like, people wanting to feel, you know, valued, appreciated, loved and respected, um, to be thought about as being more than an athlete, and yet also be seen as being a great athlete. Uh, you, you know, to have um, healthy relationships and to feel like 
you know, they're contributing to something bigger than themselves. Um, I think a lot of those things, you know, sort of are, are under the surface of, you know, a lot of my work with athletes across the board. Um, and I think sometimes that comes up as, you know, I'm really nervous about this performance or I, I can't seem to, to focus so well when I'm out there. Um, and, and I think those are legitimate things that, that can be addressed as well. And yet often underneath that is, is some, you know, really kind of base human fear that we all, we all have, which is like, you know, if I don't perform as well as I think I can, what does that mean about me? Am I, am I not who I think I am? Uh, will my teammates still, still love and accept me? Um, you know, if I, if I falter or if I don't turn out to be exactly who they thought I am, um, I, I think a lot of those things sort of ride under the surface. Um, and to me, I think a lot of those things are really about wanting to understand ourselves more um, and understand how we fit with the world more and the people around us more. And, kind of coming into our own identity as, as both an athlete, but as a human being, um, as, as sort of like the foundational, you know, making sure those needs are met before we can really start pushing towards that. You know, now that I feel secure in, in myself and my relationships, how do I become the best me I can be? It's an interesting, um, age group that you're working with. Cause you're, you're dealing with 19 to 26 year olds. And when you're in that age, uh, group, you're still trying to figure out life itself. Like you, you have very little life experience yet. These uh, elite athletes are thrust into the limelight, tons of money given to them, tons of attention, fame, all these things. So they're having to deal with two, you know, the natural course of life of trying to figure things out at that age, but then the immense pressure of being essentially a celebrity athlete. So how do you work around that? And what are, you know, it's, it's like, Brett was saying they're still humans at the end of the day and and you identify that and yeah. what, what what they're still wanting out of life and what they're trying to figure out so how, how do you navigate around those things about being a celebrity and being just a normal human being yeah i think so so for me um it, it's to lead with being a normal human being first um you know i think what everybody sees of them is the celebrity is them when the lights are on um, and, you know, I think for anyone, um, but certainly, you know, for folks who are still kind of growing and developing as, as people on their own as well, um, you know, that kind of always being evaluated, always having to be on, always being seen in a certain way can be really taxing. Um, and so for me, I try to lead from a place of it's okay to show up and bring your whole self and, and whatever it is you're feeling or dealing with or thinking about is okay. And if you're thinking about, you know, your experience as a famous person, great. And if you're thinking about your experience as a father or um, a husband or a brother, great. Like all that's fair game to me and, and really trying to put that on the table as stuff that I care about um, and that I care about them beyond what happens on the basketball court and, and to try to be consistent in that caring, you know? And so, um, so much of our space is, is a, you know, people will throw it around like it's a business. And I think there's, there's a lot of truth to that, which is, you know, you see players get traded all the time. Um, and, and I want to be really clear that that's not what I'm here for. You know, I'm not here to make decisions about your business. I'm here to make decisions and help you make decisions really about how to be the best you that you can be. And so for me, that means showing up consistently, no matter if you had a 30 point game or a five point game, if you played the whole game or you played two minutes, like it's really not, um, 
a factor in the way that I think about you as a human being. Um, and, and so as long as I can be consistent in that message, I think it, it tends to be pretty fruitful in terms of building connections and building relationships, because ultimately I think um, like anyone, the players really want to be seen. I mean, I think a second element of that that you raise is sort of the the fame and the money aspect of things that um, I, I think sometimes um, we would all do well to remember or think about how we would be if we were 26 and had that kind of responsibility. Um, and I'm, I'm constantly amazed by our players' ability to manage themselves, their relationships, the different demands that they have. Um, and, you know, we, we often hear about players when a mistake has been made. And so it, it's yeah. very rare that these guys get praised for doing the right things and not making the news kind of thing. And to me, I think recognizing that that takes a tremendous amount of discipline and thoughtfulness and intelligence is really critical to, to making sure that they are seen too. It's, it's kind of like appreciating that dimension of their experience and recognizing that I'll be honest, like, I don't think me at 23 would have handled that very well, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so now That's a great point. Be, being a little bit older, I can look at it and say like, Oh yeah. Okay. Like I, I should, uh, you know, there's something I can learn from them as well. Yeah, well, I was going to say, Alex, that that I'm going to return fire here and uh, say that I, hopefully we can steal that from you because I really feel like the last five minutes was almost the golden goose of this podcast. And if you're out there listening, make sure you rewind it because, you know, here at Thrive, we are truly on a journey as we are learning to help others and in building Thrive, we're learning ourselves. So I'm inundating both Mark and Philip with like, what's the pattern? Like, what are we seeing here? What are we learning? And I think that you just dropped a huge knowledge bomb and letting people know that like even on the elite level, these human, they're still human and they have the same human needs. And those are some huge takeaways, like sense of self, sense of belonging, sense of tribe. And, and one of the pillars that thrive is social bonds. I mean, and, and, you know, Philip uh, will talk about this a lot and, and looking at the research, um, you know, looking at um, the blue zones that, a lot of that research, the biggest uh, confounder, the biggest discovery is that those people broke bread together every night. They had good family bonds. And so there's just some generalities you can take away that I think will really, really assist you in many years of your life if you look at the patterns. Yeah, I totally agree. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, thank, thank you both. That's, that's very kind. And um, yeah, I, I, if there's anything people take away from this, I, I hope that's part of it. And I don't know if y'all have read the book Humankind by Rutger Bregman, but that would be a, a highly recommended read for, for anyone because um, it really nice. is about the, the common threads of humanity and um, some of the more positive sides of being people that often get overlooked, especially in today's uh, media. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, interestingly, that ties into this. I was uh, There's a gentleman named Eric Edemides. He's in the health wellness and he's a speaker as well for like Mind Valley. Uh, he is in Tanzania right now spending time with the Hadza tribe and they are far remote away from any civilization and everything. And one of the things that he posted was the chief speaking and his message to people around the world is that every human every day should strive to be a better version of themselves each and every day, which is interesting because this is a, a tribes member that's not uh, in modern day society, but even 
there at that level. It's like, be the best that you can be day in and day out, which is ties into what you were saying about how you work with these athletes. So it's pretty cool stuff. Yeah, I love that. I love that. It's, uh, it's really cool to hear kind of that, that universality around just trying to be your best self. Uh, it's, it's inspiring to me and keeps me kind of engaged in what I'm doing and, and eager to learn more. So I appreciate, I appreciate that story too. It's, uh, really cool to hear that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's, um, to me, it's, it's funny. We've talked a lot about this in, in the last docu-series, which was on longevity and it, it just keeps coming through in, in this new one now in immunity. It's just the basics. It's like back to the basics. And a lot of what you've mentioned, I think was just, you know, stepping back and, and having perspective and, you know, it's, it's not necessarily sure. The goal is, you know, to be potentially, you know, the top scorer or, you know, an all-star or whatever it is. But I mean, to get there, it's the basics, like focusing on those, those core pillars and the things that have been around from the beginning of time. Well, yeah. And if you're not also, if you're not seven foot tall, you, instead of striving to be an elite basketball player, you can still at least look at the patterns and say like, you know, Hey, I yeah. just, I need at least need to have a tribe, right? Some people that I can depend on. And like Alex said, that can maybe even enhance group immunity. Yeah. So totally. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I think, uh, life, life is better when you get to share it with people you love. Um, and, and other people can be such a huge source of the excitement we have and, and the, what we learn. So I, I think you're spot on. Just on the, I mean, I mean, the whole conversation obviously um, warrants or, or supports the idea of improving our immunity if you're following really anything that's been discussed. But just to get a little bit more specific, especially in the time we're in right now and the fact that, you know, if one player falls ill with COVID or something right now, I mean, it throws, throws a really big wrench in the whole system. Like what, what have you seen that has worked really well for you guys that we can uh, leverage on this side to boost our immunity as best as possible. Yeah. Um, a couple of things come to mind, I, I guess. I think, you know, one, they, and maybe they go hand in hand. So maybe it's big, one big thing. I'm not sure. But I think the two things that I have found to be very successful in navigating this time have been one, really clearly delineating between what's within your control and what's not in your control, particularly as it pertains to COVID related navigating the NBA season, right? So mm. a great example is like, we can't really control when the NBA is going to adjust what their um, rules and regulations are to help keep us all safe. And the NBA has done an incredible job of like staying up to date on research and trying to make things functional and responding to team needs. Um, but ultimately, you can't live just to wait for the NBA's response. You know, you have to take some level of ownership over your own health and safety. Um, and so identifying what those things are that you can control and really putting your effort and attention toward those things. Um, you know, I love what was said earlier around, you know, what you pay attention to is kind of what you what you get. Um, so I think splitting that stuff up can be really helpful. And then the other thing has been... Um, you know, we've talked a little bit about kind of different outcome goals around, you know, say scoring percentage in, in basketball. But I think um, identifying, you know, really short term goals for yourself, given the constant changing nature of what we're in, it's like, what's one goal I have between now and next, you know, next Wednesday? And then what does that mean for what I do every day to make sure I can get there? Um, and really dedicating time to that, I think has been another strategy just to sort of um, you know, often people 
talk about goals or dreams in these really like big and ambitious time windows, right? Like in the next five years, I want to be this. And in 10 years, I want to do that. And I want to retire when I'm 75. And that's all great. But in the context of a pandemic, it's like incredibly hard to imagine what that means for what you do today. Um, And so I think breaking Mm -hmm. things into, you know, what one week chunks or even smaller three day chunks um, can be be really helpful. And then I would say maybe the last thing I've found that I'm slowly, um, you know, even trying to practice more for myself and weave in for myself is this kind of um, constant act of self compassion, um, and, and just learning to um, I don't want to say take it easier on myself, but I would say be kinder to myself in navigating the different challenges that come up during this time, because so much of it is unpredictable. So much of it is out of your control that if, um, you know, for me personally, even like if I respond to myself as though I could have, or should have done something differently when I very clearly, you know, didn't have that opportunity, treating that moment with kindness and like, okay, like we're all navigating. I mean, it's truly a global experience. Like we're all navigating this together. Everyone's having these same kinds of difficulties, lending myself that level of compassion. I've found to be really helpful in trying to instill that in others. Um, because I think because there's so limited control, it feels like, you know, anything we can grasp onto is critical. But, um, I think given the circumstances, we could all use a little kindness. Yeah, definitely. Those are, great point uh, of advice. And yeah, the, the be kind to yourself that keeps coming up quite a bit. Uh, and, and just we're, we're very, very hard on ourselves. Uh, and we're our own worst enemy at times. Um, you know, prior to the call, Mark and I were discussing, he had let me know that you have an app that you've been developing and working on. And I think it, uh, maybe be useful for the users if you can like chat about that and maybe talk about what the app's function is. And if, you know, if people can use that to kind of get your insight of performing like an elite athlete, if you're a weekend warrior, if you're just trying to be a better dad, mom, you know, better husband, wife. So uh, if you'll chat a little bit about that before we wrap up. Yeah, I appreciate that. And, and thanks for the opportunity to share a little bit. It, it's something I'm excited about. So the app in the app store is, is now called Get Clutch. We've kind of changed it a little bit, but it's it's really about, you know, helping you perform the best that you can. Um, at, at any given moment in your life. And, and the way I think about this is like, you know, we're all performers in our own world, right? Like um, as, as medical doctors, for example, like when you operate or meet with a, a client, that's a performance as a parent, when you take your kid to a soccer game or manage a, you know, parent teacher interaction, that's a performance. Um, and so I've really been proud of the work we've done in trying to make some of the skills that I teach and the work that I do accessible to everyone and trying to help everyone be the best that they can be. Um, Because I think, you know, there's a lot of attention paid to the work that I do in professional sports and my colleagues in professional sports. And and that's awesome. Um, But these same skills, you know, learning to, uh, we talked about being kind to yourself and how people can be critical of, of themselves. So learning to manage what we've called your inner coach a little bit more effectively. Um, and, and starting to think through what your good self-talk looks like. What does helpful self-talk look like, sound like for you? How do you practice that more? Um, you know, things around goal setting and, and doing some of what I just mentioned in terms of setting really clear, manageable goals that'll still help you get where you want to go. And then really the third element is kind of managing your emotion regulation and your, your emotional energy. Um, 
you know, and I think those three things together um, are a pretty great foundation for thinking about how we can start to be the best that we can be. Because ultimately, those three things are kind of what, um, you know, lay the groundwork or can get in the way of us really having the performances that we want to have. And so uh, I'm excited about about the app. I think it's a really cool opportunity for people to just practice these different skills, learn something about themselves and reflect on the progress that they've made. Um, you know, and, and moving forward, I think we're in the spirit of kind of democratizing what we do. I know we're working really hard right now on incorporating some different elements of self-care um, because I think obviously given the the pandemic and particularly folks that have been really hard hit by the pandemic, um, frontline healthcare workers, uh, folks working in different nursing homes and things of that sort, you know, these skills are, are important um, and can help you sort of sustain your performance. But learning to take care of yourself and recover and recharge is a critical aspect of performance too. And so we're working pretty hard to get that incorporated as well, because um, I think that's just so critical at this time. Such great work. I mean, having been in the app in, in, in the past and, you know, playing around in there, it's, it's also just a, I mean, obviously what's behind it is, is science-based and uh, practices and things that you guys all use in real life, but it's also just designed really nice. I mean, it, it's the flow of things, the visuals, it's, it's, it's inviting, I guess, is, is a good way to describe it. So <clears throat> being an, a previous app developer myself, uh, I hats off to you and the whole team for putting in the energy because I know it's a, it's not an easy feat. No, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we're, we're excited about it. We're proud of it too. And, and I agree. It, it is, it is fairly aesthetically pleasing. So I'll give it credit for that too. Absolutely. Well, you've talked about a lot of really amazing things. I mean, we could speak to you, uh, for days on, on this topic. Um, we want to respect your time and, and, uh, pose the, the final question, which, you know, is just out of everything that's been discussed is there, you know, if you had the default to one thing, that you consider to be a non-negotiable to your immunity. Um, what is that thing for you personally? Do I have to give you one? Can can I give you, can I give you two? Go for it. <laughs> give us a few. Yeah, okay, we're so open for Maybe I'll want. lump it all together. So the thing that's non-negotiable to my immunity is my morning routine. And what I mean by that yes. is it really starts the night before. So, um, it's pretty non-negotiable for me to have an eight-hour window of sleep to the extent that I can control that. Um, you know, there are some times where we won't get off the road until 2.30 or 3 in the morning. And so that, that may not be possible. Um, but to the extent it's possible, which is 99% of the time, it starts with leaving myself an eight-hour window to sleep. It doesn't mean I'll sleep eight hours every night, but it means I give myself an opportunity to do that. Um, and then the morning is, is kind of my time to... Um, make sure I'm starting each day with a sense of wholeness and fulfillment around what I'm doing. And so my morning routine really looks like um, having some coffee. Um, I'm working on learning Spanish right now. So I practice um, my Spanish every morning. Um, and then I read for 30 minutes or so um, before about a 20 minute meditation um, and a workout. Um, and so those things, and not always necessarily in that order, depending on, on where I am or, or what's gone on. Um, you know, the night before, if there's stuff I have to, to respond to. Um, but I try to pretty much without fail, incorporate the, the workout, the meditation, um, and the reading into um, every day that I have, um, because I feel like that makes me a better person. And, and the more that I can show up and be the best I can be, the better it's going to be for the people I, I work to show up and support every day. 
Love it. That is good stuff. That's straight from um, someone we follow quite a bit, Robin Sharma. Move, move, learn, and reflect. I mean, you, you hit the core pillars there, and it's I, I follow the. We all follow the same principle, really, and it's amazing when you if you skip it or something happens, how you can immediately feel the the effects of that. Oh, for sure, for sure. That's why it's non negotiable because I I really really don't like going through going through my day uh, with the sense that I've I've missed something that that helps me kind of get started right, and so. Um, I, I really appreciate all three of you and, and the opportunity to, to talk with you today. This was was really a lot of fun. And um, yeah, I learned a lot from you too. So I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for taking the time. Thank you. It was, awesome. it was an honor. Thank you. And as the Canadian on the line, go Raptors, go. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take it. <laughs> all right, Alex from the Raptors. He was awesome i mean there was a ton in there i mean the, the the big one was at the end for me it was just this reframe of focusing on short-term goals and i guess that sense of accomplishment that that comes from that living in such an uncertain world with this pandemic that that's something uh that's definitely something i took from that conversation that i'd like to implement yeah whether you're an athlete or not the short-term goals are important especially like you said during the pandemic keep it you know Every three months, every quarter, what's your next goal? How are you going to navigate the pandemic? What are you trying to achieve? How are you going to better yourself? So when this thing kind of dies down, you come out the other end, a much better version of yourself and able to continue to be successful in whatever you're trying to achieve. Yeah, and being that I'm only five, eight and a half, I really wanted to break this <laughs> down and see see what these uh, elite basketball players really struggled with on a daily basis. I wanted to find some similarities. Well, yeah. being five, eight and a half, hashtag no excuses. Do you remember uh, from the Atlanta Hawks, Spud Webb? Yeah. He was five, eight and he could dunk. Muggsy, Muggsy Bogues. <laughs> yeah, another guy. Yeah, so no yeah. excuses, Rhett. Why aren't you a professional basketball yeah, player? Yeah, I'm just saying like anybody that uses a half when they tell you how tall they are is probably not that tall, just saying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I can, I can call myself up. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> but the, I mean, just like all the conversations so far, I mean, you know, we really got into it. it it's all like, it. I think you mentioned it a few times, right? Like they're, they're humans, right? I mean, humans, right. And it's, yeah. it's, they're humans dealing with the same things um, with obviously a lot of pressure as well. And it's different, you know, in, in many different ways, but it's at the core of it, you know, like, like you said, it's like self-worth and right. um, all of that stuff. Right. Yeah, that's that's really the take home I was trying to say, and I'll say it again. It's like, look, we're not all going to be basketball players, elite professional basketball players. So, someone out there that's thinking, they're looking at you know those guys on the court saying their life must be amazing, must be great, and maybe they have some things they're searching for in their own life. Look at the patterns. You know, if you're solving the simple patterns, I'm pretty sure you're going to end up in the same place, pretty much in terms of happiness, right? Like. If yeah. you have stardom as an elite athlete, but you don't have anyone to go home to or to talk to or a tribe, I'm not sure how happy you would be at the end of the day and vice versa. Yeah, absolutely. And then these are young humans, uh, you know, as well. So that's why I pose the question. Cause I remember being between 19 and 26, you think you're an adult, but you're, you don't have anything figured out at that point. So you're you're at that in that age group and then you're just thrusted into stardom and you have a ton of money so yeah money's nice and stuff but it doesn't bring you happiness as well so 
Well, yeah. those guys are still searching for. You hear what he said. He said they want, they want. I guess the term he used was admiration from others, but it's really just feedback from your tribe, right? I mean, they still want to. Yeah. They still want people to tell them like, "Hey, you're a good basketball player," or "Hey, you know, you're doing a good job." And you would think that with tons of TV cameras and people wanting their autograph, they would already feel that internally. So, you know, really, I'm just trying to to resonate or keep being redundant here that, that find the take home pattern because then you can truly be your own personal elite athlete, you know, an everyday hero. Amazing. Well, we've got a few more to go next up. We've got another recording coming up this week with Colleen from pendulum probiotics. So that's going to be a whole other uh, angle to immunity. So these, these are fun. They're so different. But yeah, it's all the same, right? <laughs> yeah, it all, a lot of it is boiling down to it all starts in the mind, right there, Mark? <laughs> Stress management, sleep, and nutrition. That's that's immunity, right? Should we there. just quit and make you the CEO? <laughs> Sold. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we need to make sure the lawyers are happy and make sure that this information is clear for everyone. So please bear with me. But the information on this podcast is for general informational purposes only. The statements and views expressed does not constitute a practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional health care services, including the giving of medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and the materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. The Peak Health Unlocked podcast disclaims any responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of the information contained herein. Opinions and views of the guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for any statements made by guests. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice from any medical condition they have, and they should seek the assistance of their own healthcare professionals for any such conditions. If you do want to become a patient of Thrive Performance and Regenerative Medicine, please go to thrivemedicine.com to contact us and we would be happy and honored to help you unlock your peak health. Thank you so much. Have a fantastic day.